think it was mostly Ken and Addie who really wanted to see it.
not doing background checks on mom or anything, you know? I mean, they're going to do a background check on the person that they're interested in or whatever, you know, and check references and that kind of stuff. But that's in view of a call, not just to help it fill. And so, I mean, I guess if they're a pastor in the area, like Scott and Jimmy and whatever, they're pastors in the area, you know. But I think Mark was giving one name, one guy's name, and he brought that name before the other the pastors, which three people. Nobody really knew him. Nobody had heard him preach before. And so they were, you know, you don't want to bring somebody in that you don't know. And Mark had actually preached here once before. And I'm not yeah. sure how that had come about, but that was when Jared was coming in the audience when Mark had preached. So at that point, it's like, okay, well, we have heard of him before, so. <laughs> and then um, I think um, all the candidates submitted sermons or something, so I don't know if it was before, but anyways, he's got a lot of Oh, I think I can finally take my coat off. <laughs> Is the baptistry light usually on or oh we're missing a row. Oh it's uh it's one of the other two switches. Uh actually I'll do this one so that we are the same.
Yeah, all three of us got sick this week. Oh no. That's fun. Uh, just one him. Yeah, well, we'll end up doing probably all four next week, so. Yeah, and that's kind of why I was like, I'm okay with that. But, you know, the guy that brought it up, he's probably just not going to show up after today. So, whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of... You know, when you just have those weeks, just, ugh, you know, that's kind of where I am right now. One of those weeks. Never drank coffee. 
My dad was a hot tea drinker, but my yeah. mom was never. And then his parents drank coffee, and so I'm surprised he never did. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, and then um, our kids, one of them will drink some coffee if it's half coffee and half something else. You know? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, she loves going to Dutch or some of those places, and, and I'm just like, why? You yeah. don't love coffee? You know, it's like, I think it's just because her friends, you know? Right. She's 23. She's a social drinker. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm more of a tea person. There's so many different kinds. And they don't taste like absolute garbage after you drink them. How are you doing, Mark? Good, how are you today? Doing okay. Tough week? Yeah, this is my first full week at work, and then, you know, it's, you know. The extra drive, yeah, it's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Bus. I did a couple days. It takes an extra half hour to an hour out of your day on the bus, though, if you don't drive, but then it's like gas is for something still, so. Uh, 50 to 55 minutes one way. So, yeah, it's long days. Um, yeah, yeah. It's about 12 
typically 12 and a half to 13 with the bus so i mean that's it's nice to be out there though like working now <laughs> but yeah just like not as much you know now that i'm like digging into work you know and learning and everything just like not a lot of energy focus on the what i want focus to be on you know so it's just yeah kind of in a funk this weekend i guess but you know yeah then you have met winter around the corner so yeah i'm trying not to think about that right now Uh, Scott Plath today, right? Yes. Cool. I like him. <laughs> yeah, it's Scott and then Jimmy's in that following week. And then okay. Question mark, is there anything else? 
That's what Tabitha was saying. So I'm sure I'm sure they'll be. by the CCLI number is usually the best way. That way you get the exact right one and then you just have to rearrange words or verses for the slides. Yeah, and you pull that when you Yeah, when I I add new song and then just go into search for song title, number, whatever and I just enter the number. That takes time, by the way. It takes a long time. We got 
system. Space them out so it should be pretty easy, but oh, yeah. there, there's a couple of them that you might want to. Yeah, you're welcome to shadow me if you like. I think the only problem we ended up with yesterday was, or last week, was the uh, not recording the sound or whatever. At least we know people will be able to see and hear this week. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll go from... It's a... He is our God is first. Be thou my vision second. And then the last two. I have them in order of... Lord is my salvation and then oh great God, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to... I might do it the other way around, but you just listen to both of them. Let me know which which one's better. Because I've done Oh Great God before, so I'm thinking maybe ending on that is better. Because more people be will know it. But. Señor 
to come and to the Lamb who was slain be glory. Now to the King on the throne who was in days to come and to the Lamb who was slain.
wisdom Occupy my lowly heart Own it all and reign supreme Conquer every rebel power Let no vice or sin remain That resists your holy war You have loved and purchased me I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joy. Son gave me endless hope and peace. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought didn't duplicate the slide just I'm repeating that you are worthy to be praised slide twice so you should just be able to keep it right there on that one Darkness falls 
scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun The Lord is my salvation
in a minute, but I'm going to let Denny and Jenny talk about the, the Southern Baptist Convention that they went to, and they can kind of give us some details of what they saw. We went to the UISBC, Utah-Idaho Southern Baptist Conference. And it was fabulous. It was wonderful. God, as always, was just really moving. Um, I went with the ladies' group and uh, sat at a table with ladies. It ended up ladies all over Idaho. So uh, we just really enjoyed. They had, um, they talked, but they break up into small groups. So I wanted to tell you the two groups that I went to. One was called Bridges from Our World to Theirs. It's a book that I brought back. I'm going to read and then I'm going to make available to anybody in the church who would like to read it. It is helping fellow Christians and not yet followers of Jesus to become disciple makers, which is a new term for me. We always talk about making disciples, but we want to make disciple makers who love the Lord and live like the Lord and make other people who love the Lord and live like the Lord. That's your disciple maker. So that was one excellent one. <clears throat> the second one I went to was from, it's a, a, a woman out of the LDS church. And she is witnessing in love on how to break through the LDS shell. And she has some fabulous, fabulous ideas and uh, workshops and all. So if uh, sometime in the future, if we decide that this is something we'd like to do, she would love to come and talk to our church. So it, it was just a real blessing to be there. I did bring my notes, but I'm not going to go through all of my notes. <laughs> uh, we, had a, we had some... As Jenny said, just fabulous uh, speakers and uh, business meeting. Um, the first day was really dedicated to uh, preaching from uh, 
Dan Vernay from uh, uh, Union Theological University. And I have that wrong. I need to get the right name. But anyway, he was terrific. He spent all day really talking to pastors about about pastorship. Uh, reading from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and from 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 2, he talked about how tough it is for pastors in this age uh, with, with, the, uh, with the state of the world and how don't be discouraged, carry on, continue God's work, continue declaring the accuracy of the Bible, stick with the Bible, because so many now are, per- are perjuring the word by bringing in worldly values uh, that corrupt it. But he was great about encouraging pastors. I thought that was terrific. The second day was actually the business meeting. Uh, And the the key things in the business meeting uh, were the final things, and that is the selection of the officers who will be uh, leading us uh, next year. And uh, Dr. Jared Jenkins from, uh, I think it's Lifeway. uh, Risen Life. Risen Life in Salt Lake City has been reconfirmed as the president of the USIBC. Uh, we have two uh, Idaho folks in the high offices. The first vice president is Robert Roger Naylor out of Bonners Ferry. Uh, and the second vice president is Dave Carver out of Water's Edge in Burley. Um, uh, and the recording secretary is Timothy Orday. I think uh, we have a really healthy association with some really excellent pastors. There's been a real commitment to to find unity in our churches and do mutual support. Instead of each church looking at, looking at, at another church as being the competition, to look at them as being one unit in the body of Christ, that we all work together for the furtherment of the kingdom. And I think it was, it's, uh, the direction is really, really healthy, really positive. Uh, Scott Platt is a great example of it. He has been uh, here many times helping us at the, at the pulpit, uh, has offered uh, uh, partnership with us in many ways. But that's the way it should be. We should be working together for the body. Uh, I think that's the key point we come away with. Thank you. Okay, most of the announcements are in the bulletin. I guess all of them are, so you can kind of look at that. Remember, next November or November 6th, next Sunday, we have the pot blessing, which is lunch. Uh, and there's nothing you have to do except show up, go downstairs, and eat, okay? There's no preparation. It's all going to be taken care of. We don't want anybody to have to worry about anything. You don't have to clean up after it. You just come, eat, and we really want people to come fellowship with us. So we do want everybody to stay. Operation Christmas, ma'am? We are going to torture them with smells from downstairs, make sure that it's coming downstairs. Yes. There'll be a fan blowing up the yeah. stairway or something like that. So, And it's going to smell good. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, uh, you can see the display out front with uh, the kind of gifts and things that we'll use to pack the boxes. This is being handled by the youth and by Mark and Tabitha. Uh, the packing day will be November the 12th, 
If you've got any other questions, Mark and Tabitha can help you know it. You can donate money or you can donate goodies to put in the box. And there's examples out there of what goes and what doesn't. Uh, coming in December, there's a youth Christmas celebration, Saturday, December the 10th at 7 to 10 p.m. I'm sure there'll be more details about that as it comes up. Uh, remember, if you are, whether you're a member or a guest, if you have prayer requests or any information you want the church to have about you uh, so that we can pray for you or serve you in any shape, form, or fashion, please fill this out and you would put it in the offering plate. I'm going to read Psalms 1. Uh, mine's ESV version if you want to follow along. So Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is very picturesque about a person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his word day and night. This is what it's like. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's bow our head and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for an opportunity to gather as a church body to uh, enjoy, to, to revel uh, in, in your worship. This is for you. The songs that we sing, the, the prayers that are made, uh, the money that's offered, the, the preaching that is done, it is all to worship you. It is to set you apart from everything of this world. And we pray, God, that you'll set our hearts apart from this world, that you'll take away our, our weekly worries, our work worries, our family troubles, uh, and just give us an opportunity to open our hearts fully to you, to hear what you have to say to us, uh, and to give back praise and worship to you. In Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. stand. Father, uh, God, we just come humbly before you this morning. Lord, help us to um, just leave all our uh, problems at the door, Lord. Help us to just clear our minds to be able to focus solely on you this morning. Um, with, the, with the songs we sing, we just ask that um, our hearts would be full of praise for you. Um, that the way would be pointed to you in your word that's preached, your truths, that, uh, God, that we would just learn by your word and we would grow by it. And, um, Father, we know you are the one that brings forth the growth in all things. And we just thank you for that. So, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful morning we have that we've gathered together for. Um, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And say this in your son's holy name. Amen.
a thousand burning suns blazing in the heavens. There is only one. He is our God. Who commands the nations, building up and tearing down, silencing his rivals? Thou 
salvation. of His Word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. salvation Who is like the Lord our God strong to save faithful with love my death is paid and the victory won what is my salvation the final day He will not leave me in the grave But I will rise He will call me home The Lord is my Occupy my lonely heart Own it all 
purchased me, make me yours forevermore. I was blinded by my sin, had no use to hear your voice, did not Son gave me endless hope and peace. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul. Father, to you be all the glory. In all that we think, say, do, God, um, we just pray that you would be our focus, that we would um, ask the question, how do we best glorify you each and every day in everything that we do, in every step we take, every breath that you give us. God, we're thankful uh, for your Son, for your Word. Thank you for the message that we're going to receive here this morning. And uh, God, we just, we thank you. We say this in your son's holy name. Amen. Uh, Jim, would you come take the offering, please? And when the offertory is done, the children can go down with Miss Florida.
Good morning, church. Today I'm going to be in John chapter 6. While you're turning your Bible over to John chapter 6, I have a word of encouragement for you, Falls Baptist Church. Brother that helps lead worship, what's, what's your name? Tanner. Um, great job. It is without question Tanner's ability, right, to play and to sing. Let me give you some insight that I have observed just in the few times that I have been here. I am fully confident that Tanner spends a lot of time thinking and praying about the songs that he brings before the church to sing. It is an opportunity in singing not just to sing, but to sing solid theological truth. And it is an opportunity to teach through song solid theological truth. What Tanner has to do, I'm speaking for him, he has to wade through a lot of music that might be more popular, might be a little easier to sing, but is not quite as solid and as rich and as theologically deep as what he brings before you. So I want to encourage you in this time of transition that you're looking for a pastor to shepherd you, that that will be built on a foundation that's already here um, that Tanner shares and just solid biblical truth in song. Praise the Lord for you, brother. Keep on. John chapter 6 is where I am. We are transitioning at South Fork Outdoorsman Church. I'm here on Sunday mornings because I preach our church in the evening, and and I'm glad to be here. We finished up last week the book of Hebrews. We were in there for a little over a year, and the question became, where do I go next? Where from God's Word will I teach, and what shall we do? And I was overwhelmed by a question that I see in our community, in our culture, in the world around us, a question that's addressed in Matthew chapter 16 directly by Jesus, where in chapter 16 he asks his disciples a simple question, who do they say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say the prophets, some say Elijah, yada, yada. And then he refines the question and puts a finer point on it. But who do you say that I am? We have the profession of Peter there in Matthew 16 when he says, You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus affirms what he says and and says that upon you, upon this rock, upon Peter, specifically upon that confession, I will build my church. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Culture is still asking that question, who is this Jesus? And as we attempt to answer that in broad strokes, we as a church are going to be working through the I am statements of the book of John. The reality is, is that people can come up with answers to the question of who this Jesus is from their own heart, from history books, from different sources, but we have been given the source on who it is that Jesus is. In John chapter 6, I'm going to give a storyboard, if you will, because the whole 
passage is, is one idea and then it's kind of brought together internally with the focal passage. But the storyboard of John chapter 6, the context. Jesus, it's the time of the Passover and he is with a crowd near Jerusalem and there are many, many people around and he's doing some miracles and some teaching. And in John chapter 6, what we see is this scenario where he's teaching and the people are gathered and it comes to the time of day when they need to eat. Stomachs are growling. Perhaps the smell of the food is coming up from the stairwell like it will next weekend. And, and, and people are hungry and, and it, it poses a problem. How are we going to feed all these people? Should we send them away? And the familiar passage in John chapter 6 is where one of the apostles brings to Jesus the lunch of a small boy, just five loaves and two fishes. He has everybody sit down blesses the meal and distributes and all of those could be up to 20,000 in 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 attendance that day are fed by these five loaves and two small fish and there are leftovers and we see that in the end of that passage that those that were there they wanted to seize him and make him their king whoa this is him this is the messiah this is the one that's going to restore us to prominence we'll make him king but he doesn't allow that to happen he withdraws from them to pray and we see that the disciples get in a boat and head across the lake on the water and that night he appears to them in the middle of the night walks on the water we know that passage and travels doesn't he really it says that as soon as he comes on the boat they were there I don't know if if supernaturally they just transported or if his presence I mean time passed anyway the point is they're there and we're at the next day and all of the people that were there the day before are going wait a minute where is Jesus he's not here we're looking for him they travel all the way across and they find him and they say all right Jesus you did it yesterday will you do it today Jesus says well you're not looking for me because of the signs and other words, you're not looking for me because my miracle attested to who I was, but you're looking to have your belly filled. And so he teaches them. And then what we see as a result of this teaching that he teaches them, they scatter. They go away. Almost all of them go away. Many of those that were called disciples depart from him is what the passage tells us. And he even turns to the 12 and says, okay, what about you? They're leaving. What about you? And there, Peter, once again, we get wise words. He says, Where are we to, to whom will we go? For only you have words of life. This is John chapter 6. And, and in your Bible today, it is broken down into 71 verses. And, and that is not inspired that's something given to us later for uh, reference purpose but th what I want to share with you it's interesting I believe it to be the main point of John chapter 6 and it comes exactly in the middle verse 35 John chapter 6 verse 35 the question before us is who do you say that I am and the answer, we hope, comes from our Lord when he says in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you so much for 
a time of worship this morning. We thank you for the gift to your church in songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we can sing back to you, proclaiming your greatness. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we study it, Lord, we pray that you would, by the work of your spirit, Lord, that you would um, do your work of sanctifying us. Lord, that you would do your work of helping us to know more of you and more of ourselves. Lord, that you would do your work of drawing sinners to repentance. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the bread of life. Lord, teach us now in your holy name. God's people said, Amen. In this one simple little verse, though I could go on for weeks in this passage, I think we see an attestation of Jesus' identity and then a proclamation of an appropriate response. His identity first, though, he says quite simply, but yet profoundly when we slow down. You know what? I believe one of the great barriers to actual learning is familiarity. And I am the bread of life is something that probably almost everybody in this room could have quoted. But it does us great service to slow down. And even though we're familiar, to stay there and to look at and to parse it out. And what is Jesus saying here? I can still learn after many years of being a follower from what he says when he tells me I am the bread of life. You're no doubt familiar as we break this phrase down in his identity that his proclamation beginning with I am is that Greek word egomai which comes from the Hebrew and it's translated from Exodus chapter 3. The identity of Christ. Who is this that is saying, I am the bread of life? He chooses those words carefully. And in the first century, those that heard him speaking would have heard Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses. Not even in the desert yet. Moses is in Egypt. And God is calling Moses to do something spectacular. Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people from captivity in Egypt to the promised land. I'm going to use you to do something that you can't do on your own. And the word I am, as Jesus says in John chapter 6, comes from Exodus chapter 3. I'll pick up and read, starting in verse 12. He said, speaking of God to Moses, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all your generations. 
I am has sent you. What will I tell them? What is your name? Who is it that sends me? When they're wondering, on what basis do you come? God says, tell them I am. That word would be translated ego e me over in John chapter 6. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they may not have even first at first heard the bread of life because they're hanging on. This man would say, I am. This is a Jewish crowd. They're there for Passover. They're familiar with the story of Exodus. They're familiar with the I am who sent him. His identity I am. Jesus here is identifying himself as God. You see, there were many in his day that carried the name of Jesus. Jesus was a common name like Joshua or John or the like. But in declaring himself the I am, he is setting himself apart from every John, every Joshua, every Jesus. He is the I am. Just because somebody bears the name of Jesus or if the name of Jesus is on the front of the building, it does not mean that we're talking about the I am because the only Jesus that is the I am is the Jesus that is in your New Testament and that is where we learn of his identity. I am. I am the bread of life. You and I must be sure that the Jesus we know is the Jesus revealed in Scripture. And you might say, well, I I go to a Christian church. I go to a Bible preaching church. So that is the Jesus that I follow. One very strong, very God-loving pastor. His name's Paul Washer. Uh, If you ever want to be entertained during the week, I mean, this, this brother preaches hard. He said at one time, he said, you know, the greatest hour of idolatry in our nation is the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings and he's not talking about in the fall as people gather around the TV or in stadiums to worship the idol of sport he's talking about how people will gather in buildings like this and worship a Jesus that is their own creation greatest hour in idolatry is as we gather together and we worship a Jesus that is not the Jesus of scripture well my God wouldn't so and so well the God that I believe wouldn't so and so the God that I follow wouldn't so and so and so and so we hear that sometimes perhaps we have said that and the only way that can be accurate is that my God wouldn't and that must be followed by what God's word says about him not what my emotions say not what culture says not even what a church might say but what does the Bible say about Jesus identity I am the bread of life he calls himself the bread of life man's most basic necessity food clothing shelter I am the bread of life. In context, this is a response to a question they asked. You see, these were religious folks and he fed them bread and he came back the next day and says, well, you're just coming to have your belly filled. What is it you want? And they said, well, we want, our fathers had bread in the wilderness. And Jesus says, well, true bread is the bread that the father sends. And that's what, and they said, well, give us that bread. So he is responding to their question about back in the wilderness from the time that Moses left the burning bush, which is where God told him to say, I am. He led them out of Egypt and then God provided for them bread in the desert. 
It's called in Scripture manna, which literally means what is it? This is a substance they didn't even know what it was. God had miraculously provided. They ate it, and they ate it, and they ate it every morning. They would get up, and the bread would be there. They would gather it for the day, and then on the sixth day, there would be enough for two days so that they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath day. And they ate it. And they depended on the Lord. What the word says is if they were to gather more, thinking if we just gather more, I won't have to gather tomorrow, that what would happen was worms would eat it all up and it would go bad. God is teaching them, I am your sustainer. I am your provider. Depend on what comes from me. I am the bread of life. The bread of life. This is a different bread because Jesus will say of them in the desert, they ate of the bread, but yet they still died. That bread provided for them physically. It taught them about the provision of God, but still it was a physical reality. And Jesus being the bread of life is more than a physical reality. It is the spiritual reality. This is not the kind of bread that you need more of tomorrow because to have him is to have him all. The bread of life. They ate it and still died. He is the bread of life forevermore. Don't miss. Some of the biggest theological words are the smallest ones that we'll read. I am the bread of life. One of the ways that we are guilty of idolatry and identifying who Christ is as we picture a Christ that is fully inclusive. Fully, he just loves everybody and everybody is welcome in. I am the bread of life is a claim to the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the only bread of life and there is no other bread apart from Christ and that he is the one, the only, the promised Culture likes to say that Jesus stuff is pretty cool. And if that's true for you, then that's great. But what's true for me is something different. But what he says is, I am the bread of life. There is no other is what is packed in that statement. Exclusivity of Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And it says, no one will come to the Father except through Him. No one. That's jumping ahead, but unless you come to South Fork, you won't hear that message. But another I am. The identity of Christ Jesus is saying in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the one that meets your primary need. You know that the primary need of you and everybody around you is not even food, clothing, shelter. The primary need of all of humanity is to be saved from their sins and reconciled to God because without being saved from their sin and reconciled to God, they will separate, be, be suffering for eternity 
in a real place called hell. And we like to say separated from God for eternity, but I don't think that that's fully true because I think that in in eternity they are in the full presence of the wrath of God being poured out on them for eternity. It's not that they would go and be away from him. They're away from his grace and his love and his mercy, but underneath the full weight of his wrath that was poured out on Calvary, on Christ, for those that would believe. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? He goes on in verse 35 and we see kind of a twofold response. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Verse 38 tells us that Jesus, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus is saying, I've come from heaven to here to bring back to the Father those that he will give me. In our response, he who comes to me, term come here, indicates movement from one place to another. It is a transition from one location to another. Whoever comes to me, whoever leaves a position of sinfulness and unrighteousness and guilt and comes to a place of sinlessness in Christ, we still sin, but his sinlessness is given to us and righteousness and innocence. There is a movement that happens. Whoever comes to me in a way that is both spiritual and physical. It's the idea of that we learn in marriage, which is a picture of the gospel. It is where a child leaves father and mother and cleaves to their spouse. There is a, a change in nature. He who comes to me. I know this morning that you have come to church and I'm glad that you're here. But the question that burns in our soul is not have you come to church, but have you come to Christ for salvation? You could come to church every week from now until he returns and still be in eternity under the wrath of God unless you come to Christ. Don't substitute the church for the Christ. Who is it that comes? Who is it that comes? Is it those that are smart? Is it those that are intellectually astute? Is it those that are clever? Who is it? Whoever comes. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Be careful, folks. Be careful. Jesus defines this for us. Scan down to verse 44 in your Bible, John chapter 6. Don't miss this. As read as any other words you'll read in Scripture, Jesus says to them, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me, not the smart folks, 
not the clever folks, not the intellectually astute, not the wise folks. He says, no one can come to me. And that is not a statement of no one will come. It's not a statement of whether they will or will not. It is a statement about if they are able to or not able to. And what Jesus is saying, that is, unless the Father draws them, no one is able to come to me. Lest we think that this is an isolation, they begin to ask more questions and, and he's saying, no, for real, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you, you can't be with Christ. And, and we skip down to, um, I didn't write it down, where is it? Bear with me. Verse 63. I'll start in 60. When the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What saying is it? I think Jesus clarifies. 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Look at verse 63. It is the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Man's response is to come as the Father draws him. It's a challenging thought, especially in Western culture that values our ability to decide for ourselves. When we come up against the teaching of Scripture that says it's the Father that draws, what does it do in us? I think it helps us to depend completely on Him, and I think it helps us to pray differently for others. Right? Because what this means is that it doesn't matter whether I fumble and, and flail through the gospel. If the Father is drawing, they will come. Be confident when you share the gospel, because if the Father is drawing, they will come. It helps to change the way that we pray because then we pray, Lord, open their eyes. Do you have somebody in your life that you just go, I don't understand why they don't get it and why they will keep believing this when I've so clearly laid out this? It is because you're not battling against intellect and you're not trying to convince. We are waiting and hoping that the Spirit will open their eyes to see. I was blind, but now I see. It is a song that we love and we sing over and over. But then when we think about our friends, I was blind, but now I see. But now I'm just expecting them. Just just open your eyes. It's spiritual blindness that stands in the way of a sinner coming to faith in Christ. And it is the Spirit that opens the eyes to see. Would you pray for those around you that the Spirit, that the Lord would open their eyes to be able to see? Scripture tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. That's the dumbest thing they've ever heard, that Jesus would die for them. Oh, but it's the power of God to those that believe. Spiritual blindness. Man's response is to come. He who comes will never 
hunger. If you're here this morning and you have come to Christ in salvation, you know that true satisfaction is in relationship to Christ. That even if I'm physically hungry, even if I'm physically suffering, even if I'm physically just having a hard time, and sometimes we do, right? We have come to Christ and in Him we will never be hungry. We will be satisfied. He who comes will never hunger. Second part of that response is whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He who believes in me will never thirst. In modern English, the word believe can be kind of vague and it can mean a mental assent to a set of facts, right? Oh, I believe that to be true. I never tested it, but I, I, I just believe it to be true because I believe you. This is not what the Greek word believe meant. The Greek word believe was a very interactive term and it meant to literally place trust in the way that you believed that that chair you're sitting in would hold you up when you, with very little thought, just plopped yourself down without any fear of falling to the floor. He who believes in me, who who entrusts himself to me, who places faith in me. The Lord has drawn and and in response we, we place trust in. I was 15 years old when the Lord miraculously saved me. I went to a summer camp in hopes of meeting girls. Had no idea that this would be a Christian camp. It was a young life camp in California. And from the moment we got off the bus to the moment we left, he, he shared the gospel. And, and I can remember it was on one of the last days we went to a ropes course. That's part. Of, I went there to meet girls, but they also had ropes courses and, and off-road vehicles and horses and all this stuff. And I'm on this ropes course and standing at the very end of it on a platform and there's a trapeze that's out there. Seemed like it was way out there. And the, the harness was tied to a rope that went through pulleys and down. And there was the speaker of the camp. He's the one down there that, that's holding onto this rope. And he says, you can do this, trust me, but you're going to have to leap. There's no other way you're going to have to leap. But trust me, I've got a hold of the rope. I leapt out and gra- leapt out there and grabbed the trapeze. No big deal. He let me down. That night as he was speaking, he equated those two things together. He says, you know, today you were standing on that trapeze and I asked you to trust me. And you could have stood there and said, yep, I trust you. But it never really became trust until you left that platform and reached out for that. Until you actually moved, come to me, until you made a motion of trust was that I believe in you. He said, I'm fallible and I believe I had you. But let me tell you about Jesus who has you and could never. There is no situation where he could ever let you fall. But the call is he who believes in me. He who takes a step in faith. He who entrusts himself. Because we can come to church and we could think that this stuff about Jesus is true. But until we entrust ourselves, every part of our life... To him, then we will still thirst. And we are missing the blessing of why God sent his only son. He who believes in me will never thirst. The Jesus of Scripture, not our 
Jesus of imagination. He is the only source. A lesser Jesus cannot save. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's read it in the negative sense. Everyone who looks on the Son and does not believe in Him should not have eternal life, and I will not raise Him up on the last day. It's a big deal. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Church often sees itself as a means to meet many needs, to meet our needs for community, to meet our physical needs, to serve emotional needs, and and it does. There is a place for that, but only insofar as she seeks to meet the primary need of all of mankind. Man's primary need is not community. Man's primary need is not physical provision. Man's primary need is not emotional support. Man's primary need is the bread of life. Man's primary need is the bread of life and Jesus holds the exclusive offer in himself of that eternal life. Two questions as I close. And this question, these two questions are not for the church collective. These are directed that the seat you are sitting in, you have to answer this for yourself. You can't answer for anyone else. Number one, Have you come to Him? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. Have you come to Him? Jesus, bread of life, sustain me. Forgive me. Make me whole. Second question, have you placed your trust? Are you still holding back? Are you still reserving the right of refusal a little bit? Are you still dipping the toe in the water, if you will? Have you placed your trust in Him? Oh, He's so trustworthy. Oh, He's so faithful. Oh, life in Him is so abundant. Will we pray together? Father, we thank You so much for Your Holy Word and the opportunity to study it. We thank You for sending Your Son the provision for man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sin. God, I pray that your word would speak to each heart in the room and, Lord, that we would be convicted.
to come to Jesus, to believe in Christ, first and foremost for salvation, but also just in day-to-day sanctification, or that we would continue to come, continue to believe, continue to trust, continue to be fed by you. God, I thank you for what you're doing at this church. Pray that you'd be with them, that you'd minister in them and through them, even as they look for the next man to fill this pulpit. God, I pray that you would be blessed and that you would be honored and that you would be glorified by all that comes out of this ministry. Lord, and that you would save souls for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. God's people said. Occupy my lowly heart Own it all and reign supreme Conquer every rebel pride Let no vice or sin remain That resists your holy word You have loved and purchased me Church.